0: Uh, if you 've been with us these last few weeks, uh, or if you 're visiting what we 're doing we 're continuing a sermon series called "Live like Jesus and what we 're doing is we 're walking with these disciples in that public ministry that Jesus had with them that uh, somewhere between a year and a half to two years, Jesus spent seventy percent of his time in the public ministry with those disciples, but they learned so much from Jesus, just observing Jesus and And they were writing things down about the life lessons that were coming their way. So what we've done is we've gone through and we've picked eight, what I'd call eight life lessons. And we've narrowed it down to one word for each one of these lessons. And today the word is reveal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for your son and his perfect example. An example that the disciples could follow then and that we can follow today. Lord, be with me that everything that I say will bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What does that word really mean, reveal? Well, Jesus revealed the Father to his disciples by spending focused time with them, going deeper and deeper, demonstrating daily how to serve others and exalt the Father. In John seventeen six, these weeks to come, we're going to go through that prayer that Jesus had for his disciples And you're going to just see some of these these words come through loud and clear as he pours out his heart on behalf of the disciples, but he's also crying out to us. So you're going to hear this word reveal. John 17, 6 said, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Reveal to make the unknown or secret known others now this summer I got a chance to do something I've never done before and it is I got to attend a reveal party uh, about whether it's going to be a boy or a girl and it was uh, Jordan and Kelsey and uh, what I loved about it is uh, it was in Greene County it's kind of like Owen County you can blow stuff up so we want to show you the reveal and we'll let you see whether it's a boy or girl coming so we got a few seconds here we go is that great or what? Anyway, it's going to be a girl. Let's give it up for a, big, a girl. I was wondering if you did that in Monroe County on Kirkwood, what would happen? Do you ever think about that? I think the police would show up and reveal something. You know, we, we live in a, an interesting world. Now, when you hear that word reveal, seriously, what do you think? Now, here's what it means in the Greek. It means to openly manifest, to be present, to appear. We're going to look at two principles this morning of what it really means to reveal, what Jesus was teaching. And I'm taking one of my favorite New Testament characters to me who demonstrates what it really means to reveal the character of Jesus Christ. And that's John the Baptist. So if you're taking notes, and I bragged on uh, the first service, and I'll brag on you too, how many of you are taking notes And it's just great. But if you're taking notes, it's the principle, first of all, of deflection. John 3, 26 through 30, listen to the heart of John the Baptist. They, being the the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And to this, John replied, A person can only receive what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and now it is complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. That one sentence describes what it means to deflect and truly reflect the light of Jesus Christ. He must become greater, and I must become what? Less. And I love that. John's entire life was about blazing the trail for Jesus. He was truly a modern-day Elijah. Malachi 4 5 says this, before the Lord comes, the prophet Elijah will prepare the way. And then in Luke 1 13 through 17, I love this, the angel of the Lord told Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were going to have a son, and that son would have the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, many people thought, uh, the Jewish people thought, this may be Elijah. And he kept saying, I'm not Elijah but he definitely had the spirit of Elijah. A matter of fact, I did some research and I did a parallel study of Elijah and John the Baptist and it is really interesting. Elijah was bold. He wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. So did John the Baptist. Elijah, if you remember, uh, when he was getting ready to ascend into heaven and the chariot of fire, do you remember the very last thing he did? He gave a double portion of his power to the young prophet Elisha, and that amazing because that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He backed off and said, "I'm going to descend, but I'm going to allow Jesus to ascend. Jesus needs to be in His rightful place." John the Baptist was so powerful in everything he did, but he was a servant, and he de- uh, deflected uh, that and demonstrated what it's to be a servant. We need to do the same thing. All of us need to realize the influence others have had in our life that have been servant leaders. I shared this a few years ago, um, so I apologize if you say, hey, he's already shared that story. Sometimes Maria will go, seriously, you shared that story. So it's, it's worth sharing again, okay? Uh, when I was in Bible college, this really did uh, have a lot of significance in my life. I was a freshman, and I, I'm just telling you, I was a goofball, and uh, I really do not know how I, Got through college, but anyway, it's my freshman year, and I know some of you can relate to this. But I had a professor teaching a class that was his first time teaching it, and it was obvious he did. Somebody made him teach that class. Like he didn't like it. Nobody else liked the class, and so I had a bad attitude. And it was right before chapel, and in Bible college you have to go to, you get to go to chapel four days a week. Okay, <laughs> and so this was right before chapel, and uh, I intentionally showed up a little late because I just. Uh, I hated that class anyway, so I sat down, and a guy that was uh, I thought was the the school custodian was teaching, and I'm like, this is weird, and he goes, hey, emergency came up, Uh, the professor couldn't make it, and honestly, I don't have any of his notes, so I'm just gonna share with you why I love Jesus and why you need to love Jesus and why the calling to go into ministry is the greatest calling ever. And for an hour, it was like a halftime speech. I mean, he was passionate. He was just so full of life. And I thought, that's the greatest custodian preacher I've ever heard. I mean, he was just so good. Well, then a couple weeks later, we're going to chapel, and uh, I'm sitting there. Now, some of you remember back in the day with churches. Do you remember when (laughs) behind the pulpit they'd have this huge chair, and the minister would sit there before? Do you guys remember that? That was so weird. I just remember sitting in that chair, like the eye contact, the whole thing was weird. So anyway, he was sitting in the big chair, and I leaned over my buddy, and I'm like, hey, that's that custodian guy I told you about, that spoken class, man, he is really good. And he looked at me, and he goes, are you an idiot? I'm like, what? He goes, why do you think he's a custodian? I said, well, uh, when school was starting, I saw him taking the trash out, he had jeans on, he was sweeping the sidewalks, and he goes... John, that's the first president of this school. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, Luke Perrine. He's the first president. He said, if you go up to the library, they have those huge pictures of the presidents. I'm like, we have a library? I mean, really? That's how goofy I was. But you know what? What's interesting, I cannot tell you how much more that meant to me when I hear him preach. Because I thought, you know, how cool is that? First of all, he's out there in his jeans taking out the trash, sweeping the sidewalks. And when he came to the class that day, he never introduced himself. He didn't say, <clears throat> freshman, I'm Luke Pride. I was the president of this grand Bible college. He didn't say anything. He just threw it down. And man, I could, every time that guy preached, I mean, I listened to every word. And when I was a freshman, I started thinking, that's the kind of leader I want to be someday. I want to be the kind of leader that, loves to do the stuff behind the scenes. You don't always have to be up front. And if you think about the leaders who've had the greatest influence in your life, my guess is that's one of the characteristics. They don't care about their titles. They only care about what can they do to help others. And I will never forget that lesson. You may want to write this quote down by C.S. Lewis. I love it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's humility. It isn't that you beat yourself up, because when you have Jesus Christ in your life, that's your identity. You don't have to think about yourself all the time. You can think less about yourself, because Jesus Christ is in you. It means everything. What about the principle of reflection? John's life is complicated, and I want to get into, it's always been a little confusing for me, this section of his life, but I wanted to deal with it in this whole idea of reflecting Jesus, even during the difficult times. I want you to think about what reflection means to you. What does it mean to look like Jesus? So I have a few examples of people who look like their dogs. Do you know anybody that kind of looks like their dog? So we have a few. Let's show them here. Here's the first one. Yeah, Nice. The dog's having a better hair day. The next one, yeah, <laughs> good. And here's my favorite one. I call that "Welcome to Bloomington, Indiana." So that's. Now we laugh, but it's easy to find somebody and say they kind of look like their dog, you know. And uh, this is interesting. I remember this is a few years ago. One of Marie's sisters said that the longer you and John are together, you kind of look like each other. And have you ever seen couples the longer they're together? Uh, They just kind of look like each other? And is there anything greater than to follow Jesus through every season of your life, and you don't realize it, but Jesus is coming through? That should be every one of our prayers. So in Matthew 7, we find a really difficult section of Scripture. And you need to back up to verses 1 through 6, and let me give you a quick overview. So John the Baptist, as you know, boldly preached Jesus Christ he boldly preached against the wrongs of the culture and uh, you need to repent you need to get it together because the king is coming and he spoke the truth so boldly that he even spoke out a bit against the ruler of Galilee at that time which was Herod the tetriarch now Herod was uh, the son of Herod the great you remember him Every Christmas, that's the guy who killed all the babies. This guy is ruthless. He's just a loser, and that's how he grew up. And he threw down this statement, John the Baptist said, about the ruler. He needs to repent. He has divorced his wife illegally. He's marrying his half-brother's wife, Herodias, and it's wrong. He needs to repent. Now, for whatever reason... That did not land well with the ruler and Herodias. So you know what they did? They threw him in a dungy prison cell. And there he stayed for a year and a half to two years. Now, why do I mention that? Because it was out of that that he somehow had a disciple or a follower of him. And he shared with him, would you go to Jesus and simply ask him, now this is interesting, are you the one? Now, isn't that interesting? His entire life, that's all he's heard from the time that he was a baby, that he was blazing a trail for the Messiah. And now, uh, two years, nearly two years in a prison cell, he's beginning to have doubts about Jesus. So I stepped back and I started to ask myself, why did he have these doubts? Mark Twain said, Faith is believing something you know isn't true. And that's sad. One newspaper editor uh, was quoted to say to his journalist, some stories are too good to check out. And what's sad is I think sometimes people feel like that about the Bible. Like, it's, is it really that good? It can't possibly hold up. I mean, is Jesus Christ real? Is there enough evidence? And if we're honest, over the years, all of us, when we're really down, sometimes we can have doubts. Jesus loves us anyway. I think John had doubts because of his circumstances. Matthew 5.45 says, rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. But it didn't help. He hurt so deep. You see, he knew these scriptures out of Isaiah. Here's one of them. Isaiah 42.7. Listen carefully to this. Jesus' mission was this, to open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Don't you think he sat there in darkness and thought, Does he know I'm here? I mean, why doesn't he send somebody to get me out of here? I mean, this isn't right that I'm sitting here. And I love the fact that you get to see the heartbeat and the flesh of a real man saying, Jesus, I just need to know it's real. And I love what Jesus does. If you'll turn over with me in Matthew 11, starting in verse 7. I love this. As Jesus' disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear the fine clothes are the kings in the palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet... This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare a way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't say, and I'm paraphrasing, John. Send John this message. John, we're cousins. Good lane, you know I'm the Messiah. You know I'm the one. Think of all the great things I've done. And here you are. No, Jesus didn't do that at all. He said, John, I know you've got doubts. I know what you're going through. I know it's so painful. But I've got to tell you, I love you. You are the greatest among women. I, you tell them, yes, I am the chosen one. Your life does have purpose. And some of you today probably walked in here and you have your own doubts like does the bible really hold up does jesus really hold up and you know what you may be nervous but jesus reaches out and says i love you even though you may have doubts i love you i think his circumstances but i also think and this is important i think john had a difficult time with the methods of jesus not the message of jesus Because you got to remember, he spoke with power and authority about a coming king. So how do you think he visualized that king was going to work it out? With power and authority. And what's Jesus do? Well, he heals the blind, the lame can walk, and it's all about unconditional love. And I think in some ways John was waiting for the hammer to come down. Like, okay, bring it. John, bring the thunder. Bring it. And all Jesus does is he just keeps loving. You see, it's easy to fall in love with the message of Jesus, but the methods of Jesus, if we're honest, sometimes those are hard. Let me give you a quick example. In John chapter 6, uh, do you remember Jesus is talking to the crowd that's following him? And he said, Oh, you love it when I provide physical food for you, physical bread. You just sit back and go, Man, Jesus, another party trick, please, more bread. And Jesus said, isn't that great? And they're like, yes. And he goes, okay, now let's talk about spiritual bread. Are you willing to love me so much spiritually that I'm your bread? Like you'd be willing to consume me spiritually. Are you willing to take that step? And what did they do? They left. We don't want any part of it. We don't want the hard parts of your teaching. See, the methods of Jesus are still difficult. And yet we find Jude 1, that says, Be merciful with those who doubt. Why? Because there is evidence of God. And the plan of salvation is real, and it holds up. It holds up. I read this article from Outreach Magazine. I wanted to share just a a little section of this, this testimony. It's it's just so powerful. It's a a minister by the name of Ray Johnston. He's the lead pastor at the Bayside Church in uh, Roseville, California, And the reason they're sharing his testimony is it's the fastest-growing church in the United States. Currently, they have six sites, and on a given Sunday morning, it's about 22,000 people. So they've got it going on. But he grew up, and this is how he described his life. I grew up uh, an atheist in a very, what he called, a zero spiritual uh, background. Alcoholic parents rooted in a fatherless family tree. I didn't believe in God, and I was angry, and that's how I I grew up all the way through my adult years, my young adult years. He said, but then the guy asked the question, just what was the turning point from your skepticism? And I love what he replied. It was more like a long curve than a point. I remember reading a lot of books and studying the evidence for the resurrection, and he studied those books, to show that it was a farce. And the more he studied, the clearer Jesus got. And then listen to what he said. Finally, it flipped over for me. I was taking a walk in the forest, and I was thinking, wait a second. Life didn't just come from non-life. This, all of creation, didn't just happen. I remember looking at the stars saying, okay, God, I now think you are real. You actually exist. And then I figured out that God had to be personal because impersonal things cannot create a personal thing. Boy, that's good. Listen to this. Two rocks can't create a person. That's all I knew at that point. But it was a massive deal. Some of you today may have doubts in the existence of God. Some of you have doubts in the claims of Jesus Christ. Some of you have doubts about the credentials of Jesus Christ and his arms are still extended and say, You can have your doubts, I still love you. I still love you. See, that's what I love about Jesus. And uh, that's what I love about John the Baptist is not only was he able to deflect attention away from himself to Jesus, but he was able to reflect Jesus at the lowest moments of his life. Isn't it easy to reflect Jesus when everything's going great? I mean, anybody can love Jesus during the kumbaya times, can't we? But, man, when the wheels start falling off in your life, that's when it gets real. That's when Jesus needs to get real, and that's when we need to reflect Jesus the most. Because at the end of the day, Jesus gives us hope. A few years ago, uh, Marie and I had a chance. We took our kids through uh, the, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. It's one of the most sobering things you'll ever experience and there was a quote and I jotted this down I remember that it was this was actually written on one of the walls on one of the concentration camps I believe in the sun even when it's not shining and I believe in love even when I don't feel it and I believe in God even when he's silent And maybe right now for some of you God is silent but let me tell you something He's going to show up. Jesus Christ is going to show up. And for some of you, there's some folks that are hurting, and he's going to show up in you. The reflection of Jesus Christ is going to show up in your life. And here's what you're going to be able to provide, hope. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all need, the hope of Jesus Christ. I remember this vividly. I was in high school, and I had just graduated from high school, and my mom, this is in the St. Louis area. We had like five channels. So channel 11 always carried the Billy Graham Crusades. My mom loved the Billy Graham Crusades. I did not. Okay, so when I'm in high school, I'm like, Mom, seriously, Billy Graham, again? you know? And so I'm, I'm getting ready to head out in about a half hour or so, and I'm, I'm sitting there with my mom, and I'm like, Mom, seriously, can't, can't we turn the TV? And she's like, Billy Graham's. I mean, it was almost like blasphemy. No, Billy Graham's. And I'm like, okay. And so it was uh, before Billy Graham spoke, uh, they had this woman come out, and she shared testimony. Well, she was in a wheelchair, and it's the first time that I ever heard of her name was Johnny Erickson, and later on she became Johnny Erickson Tata. And I'm not exaggerating. She radiated. And I remember she came out, and she just started sharing her story, and I can't explain what came over me. And I'm watching her just radiate Jesus Christ and uh, I started crying. And my mom goes, are you crying? I'm like, no. You know. I was just I just, I'm like, oh, my land. And I remember walking out of the house and I'm like, what just happened? Johnny wrote this song and it's actually called uh, Johnny's Waltz. And uh, it's about what she's been through in life and the hope that she has in Jesus Christ. And here's what she said. Though I spend my mortal lifetime in this chair, I refuse to waste it, living in despair. And though others receive gifts of healing, I believe that he has given me a gift beyond compare. For heaven is near to me, and at times it's all I can see. Sweet music I hear coming down my ear, and I know it's playing for me. For I am Christ, the Savior's own bride, And redeemed, I will stand by his side. And he will say, shall we dance? And our endless romance will be worth all the tears I've cried. I don't know about you, but I can't dance. I'm kind of like Helen on Seinfeld. Do you remember her? That's how I feel. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to dance. Aren't you? And I think what Jesus Christ wants for every one of us is to have that kind of hope. No matter where you're at in life, you can dance. You can have hope because of him. Maybe that's where some of you are hurting this morning. You just need to hear that. There is hope in Jesus Christ. That's what we reflect. Man, if there's anything our friends need, our family needs, our community needs, and the world needs, with all the garbage, is the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Seriously, that's it. Everything could be summed up in that. We all need the hope of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what's contagious? You need to reflect. I need to reflect the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.